What's going on, good people? What up, though, as we say in my hometown of Flint, Michigan? Yo, you have tapped in and tuned in to your boy, Inspires the Block. You can find me right there on Twitter to Correct the Felon Podcast. I'm that guy, the big deal as always. Shout out to my brother, Saul G. Uh, you can check us out every Monday, uh, starting, you know, tomorrow, a brown paper bag podcast where we talk about a, a variety of issues um, that affects relationships, that it affects parenting, you know, just a host of things we talk about on there. And also Wednesdays, uh, Purple Pill Politic, that is our politics show that uh, we, you know, we dig off into, you know, what's going on in the world today with politics. And so uh, that's just a little housekeeping. Also, tap into uh, Middle Passage Media. That is my media company that, um, you know, I put together material that people can read up on, especially stories that, um, you know, not normally not talked about in, in the news media. So going over there also to copy some merch. Your boy got merch. You know, all the proceeds go to Middle Passage Media so I can enhance it and expand it and turn it into something to where, you know, you can get your fair share information on the news front. Also, too, I'm about to open it up to those that want to be potential uh, writers, you know, and contributors to the site. So look for that, you know, on the homepage in the next coming days to where I'm going to open it up and allow other people to be involved with uh, Middle Passage Media, especially from a writer's perspective. You know, if you're a potential writer, you're somebody that feel like you this is something that you want to do, but you just don't know how to do it. You don't know where to go to put forth information and articles and stuff like that that you have on your mind and heart that you want to write. Like I said, you'd be able to email me directly uh, in the next coming days. You'll see it on the homepage to where how you can get involved with, uh, with becoming a potential writer and also contributor to Middle Passage Media. Uh, shout out to Libre TV. Uh, I don't know what's going on. We have some technical difficulties over there. Uh, it's supposed to be. Uh, broadcasting live over there, but uh, we'll get this replay up on there as soon as possible, and so that y'all can uh, see it from there. Also, to the audio audio versions, um, I, I put this out on all platforms, uh, but the main three is, of course, is uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and also Spotify. So make sure you subscribe, like, and comment to the uh, Correct the Feeling Podcast on all of those platforms or whichever one you listen to uh, audio version of podcast on. So that's just that on that, on that housekeeping. Um, it's no secret. It's no secret that um, I've been to prison. And one of the motivating factors in my life is to bring awareness and stuff like that to criminal justice reform. But one of the things that I feel like we have to get to the root of is what causes all this kind of stuff. What's the, why is there a need for criminal justice reform? And so what I want to talk about today is mass incarceration. Okay. Because we do have a epidemic of that in the country right now. We're the only country who incarcerates at a higher rate than any country in the world. And we're one of the, um, we're one of the smallest countries. So, you know, just got to dig into that. And, you know, figure out what's going on as of recent. Right. Joe Biden issued an executive order to stop the United States Department of Justice from renewing further contracts with private prisons. All right. And a lot of people looked at this as a sign of equality and stuff like that. 
And I think it's a good step in the right direction. But my personal opinion is that we need to get rid of private prisons. We need to reduce uh, people in prison, especially for nonviolent crimes. And I think also, too, that we need to allow people that has been to prison or that it is in prison with violent crimes or what people would be considered violent crimes. Let me let me say it like that, because circumstances vary around every crime. Right. So I think we need to kind of like look at that a little differently than just, you know, grouping people in because of the felony conviction that they have. So, like I said, we need to figure this thing out because if we can shrink the size of people in prison and go into the root of it, then we'll have a more secure and better society. And this is some of the things that I want to talk about today on the podcast. And like I said, Joe Biden, really what he did was this year. He did something that Obama did before he left office. And Obama put a monitorium on federal contracts with private prisons, right? To me, in my opinion, it was a dollar late. I mean, day late, dollar short. But he did do something. And then when Trump came into office up under Attorney General at the time, Jeff Sessions, they allowed private prisons to uh, renew those contracts with the federal government. And what happened was in the stock market, it blew up. Like stocks just went through the roof. And now we have a big problem with that. Now, let's, let's let's dig off a little bit deeper into it. Right. How did private prisons even come about? Right. It wasn't until the 1980s that private prisons or prisons became privatized. And this had a lot to do with the Reagan administration. Their war on drugs. Right. Their war on drugs started a big boom to where a lot of people start going to prison in the United States. And a lot of that had to do with um, just, you know, people using drugs, not necessarily selling. More people went to prison for selling, I mean, for using drugs than they did selling because it's, it's, it's common sense that more people are going to use than sell. And from 1925 to 1980, the prison population was steady, right? It was steady. It was normally around that time, really from uh, 1925 to 1980, there was roughly around over 150,000 people in, in, in prison, in state and uh, federal facilities combined. And then what happened after 1983, it just skyrocketed from 1983 to 2016. We went from 250,000 people incarcerated to over 2 million people. And we see that today. There's a lot of information that you can dig up and you can find out about it because it's, it's just the information is out there. Now, when Jeff Sessions came into office, like I said, they overturned Obama's uh, monitoring on federal prisons and Trump directed Jeff Sessions to renew those contracts. And immediately CCA, which is a, 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 a private prison and CGO group, you know, they in that in 2017, they had a profit of over four billion dollars because during Trump's administration, they were arresting a lot of, as they would call them, illegal immigrants. And a lot of those people were being housed in federal penitentiaries and uh, private uh, private uh, prisons, I should say. And this caused a big boom in the market with people being incarcerated. Now. It's some some things I want to put up for y'all. You know, I want to show some graphs because I want to get into the heart of this. 
right? I want to show some things to where you can take, you know, and, and, and internalize and look at it. A lot that has to do with private prisons is lobbyists, right? Lobbyists. So this screen that I'm putting up on, 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 on the podcast right now, it says detention means big money for profit prisons. Nearly two thirds of all immigrants detained are held by CCA or Corrections Corporation of America and the CGO group, INC. Now, they have over 25 lobbyists that continuously go to Washington for to get these annual to get these contracts so that they can continue to house people and CCA annual revenue from federal contracts alone last year was over $752 million. Listen at that. They're at from the money that they made from the federal government was over $752 million. And for lobbying, they spent over $15.8 million just to lobby to get these contracts. Now, what is that saying? Now, if the federal government wants to give these kind of contracts, right, then what the private prisons have to do, they have to have people in those people in those beds. That's the only way that it's going to work, because what also what these uh, private prisons also allowed to do is they allowed other people or other companies to come in and profit off cheap labor. Yeah, I remember when I was in prison, I literally made what? 86 cents a day from various jobs that I would have. I, I think I made no more than a dollar 20 a day from jobs that I had in prison. And so what happens is these companies come in, they contract with other companies just so they can add, make, add it or add more revenue. And then they all, they get it all by cheap labor. And the one way to, to, to do this is to make sure that you have people that are long-term offenders because short-term offenders don't work. Right. If there's a revolving door for short term offenders, that means they just they, they getting out soon. And so this other graph that I want to put up, I'm going to show you how they think the type of criminals at private uh, facilities. Right now, the biggest one slice of the pie, 38 percent people are in private prisons for robbery, assault and burglary. Now, let me explain something about that. OK, these these charges or convictions tend to uh, land you in the middle ground when it comes to being sentenced, right? Chances are, if you locked up for robbery, then you're not going to be in there for a year, 18 months, or nothing like that. You're going to be in there for a significant amount of time. And what, it, what that does is allow these private prisons and these private prison corporations to make money off of the inmates that are there. Also, if you look at the graph, you got 21% of people in there for homicides, murder, and manslaughter. All right. Now, what happens with that is that one reason why that percentage is so small, because usually private prisons don't like to deal with those kind of individuals because to house them, there's more is more expensive. And also that they don't want to deal with the security problems of these individuals that are in prison because most private prisons operate with less staff than there are on the state and federal level. That's one of the biggest differences because they like to say that they like to, um, you know, save money is by not hiring a lot of people. And what that tends to do is, 
you know, allow them not to spend money when it comes to employment. So what they look for is people that they can house in these facilities. There's going to be there for some time. And it allows them once again to contract with other companies to come in and to provide uh, services to where they're building and making products and then shipping them back and selling them back into society. What other way to, you know, make a profit off something that you're doing, especially when there requires manual labor is to have cheap manual labor. Another thing graph I want to put up and it's, 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 it's real disturbing, right? To me, because it shows, it says, is this justice? Seven shocking facts about America's prison system. The U.S. accounts for only 5% of global population, but houses 25% of the world's prisoners. Like, how is that even possible? If we only represent 5% of the global population, then how do we house over a quarter of it? One in 15 black men are behind bars, right? The bill the U.S. taxpayers pay each year to maintain prisons. Now, this is just on the federal and uh, state level, $69 billion each year. Like, yeah, you know, a lot of bread is being put up to house prisoners and to keep them incarcerated. There are more African-Americans in prison or jail on parole or probation today than there were slaves in 1850. Like that's 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 crazy there. Like you get more people incarcerated or uh, having some type of connection to the criminal justice system than we had slaves. And we know what that was about. We know what slavery was about. We ain't even going to get into that. But it's kind of deep when you think about it. Right. It's real deep. And at the end of the day, when you think of it from a political perspective, both parties are wrong in mass incarceration. There is not one that is right when it comes to mass incarceration, right? Republicans tend to lean towards um, harsher sentences, right? Yeah, they do. There's just something about them. You know, we heard it throughout the past four years, law and order. That's what that meant. And Democrats, right, they do it without saying it. If you look in most black communities, right, and especially in, in, in big cities, most of these areas are controlled by Democratic politicians overwhelmingly. Right. Your mayors who appoint the police chiefs are Democrat. Most local prosecutors are uh, Democrats. Right. Uh, shares. You can go down the line who enact these laws. So that it contributes to mass incarceration. Right. So when you think about it from that perspective, they all are guilty of mass incarceration. Somebody in, in, in the comments says, so Biden's crime bill. Yeah, we, we can't just lay it at that doorstep there, because also, once again, like I said, Ronald Reagan had the war on drugs. Like, I know we like to pick sides in this shit, but let's let's be balanced. Let's be fair. Ronald Reagan had a lot to do with it, too. I know that's stuff that people don't like to hear. They just like to blame uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden just as guilty as Ronald Reagan. Both of them uh, have to wear that burden, whether alive or dead. It is what it is. That's facts. So we need to quit 
cherry picking and want to play these sides when it comes to mass incarceration. They're all guilty. All guilty of it. And you know who suffers the most? Black people. All right. Black people suffer the most, especially when you are in prison. Like the cost to actually be there is hell. Right. For example, especially when I was in prison, when I first went to prison, you literally spent no less than $15 per call calling your loved ones. Every prison that I was at, I was over two hours away from my family and loved ones. So there was no regular visits. I didn't, I didn't talk with them on a regular. And like I said earlier, that, um, you know, you don't really make no money from working in prison, not enough to sustain. For example, you might max out at a hundred dollars a month because that's how you get paid. You get paid monthly. You don't get paid weekly. I know in the Michigan Department of Corrections, I don't know about other, uh, other states, but I know in Michigan, you get paid monthly and you probably would bring in about a hundred dollars at the most. But yet, in order to buy a television, you need an extra 20 because TVs, they went for $120 plus tax, plus shipping and handling. Other things like when I was in prison, cassette players, when I left, they had MP3 players. So this stuff costs money. And if you come from poor backgrounds, then chances are you having a hard time while you're in prison. Like financially, you're, you're being beat down. And that is a problem. And at the same time, the facility is making a bunch of money. Like when I was locked up in Michigan uh, at the Michigan Reformatory, I worked for a furniture factory manufacturing company called MSI to where we manufacture desks, bookshelves, uh, chairs, all kind of stuff. And what they did was turned around and sold it to various companies throughout the state. And I remember at the time I was making like 56 cents uh, an hour. But yet I was also a clerk, so I would be able to see the money that they were making. I mean, they literally were selling this property, the stuff that they were making for thousands of dollars. And the institution was only getting a very small fraction of that. And so, like I say, this is a lot of the problems that I recognize that's going on in private prisons. You know, um, once again, like I said, these companies. Also, too, and I'm talking about uh, uh, CCA and also uh, Civic uh, Core Civic, which is Core Civic now, and uh, GEO Group. They make big money, man. I'm talking about big money, and the reason why because you can invest in stocks with them. Like there's a lot of big institutions who are actually investing in in private prisons, and I'm gonna give you a couple of them. And they big, they big uh, uh, companies. For example, you got Wells Fargo, you know, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Fidelity Investments, General Electric, the Vanguard Group. These are just a few big institutions who saw that they can make big money from investing in private prisons. Right. Wells Fargo has around 100 million invested in the GEO uh, group and also six million in the CCA. Like this is a bank institution. Like they already make tons of money off us from personal people, or regular people just investing in them. Now they are diving into private prisons. You know, you can't even go get a loan from them, let alone the money that they're bringing in. And so this is the things that, you know, some of the stuff that we really need to pay attention to. 
right? There's some statistics also I want to bring out, throw out to you from the U.S. Department of Justice. It says as of 2013, right, there were 133,000 state and federal prisons uh, housed in privately owned prisons. And then that constitutes for about 8.4% of the people in prison. And so the overwhelming majority after that is on the state and local level. But once again, like I said, that goes to the policies that um, on the state and local level that allows this to happen. You know, and this is something we all need to get involved with because it's a crippling effect on our society. It's sustained. You know, I even got which I probably do a part two on, but I haven't even got to the point when it talks about uh, the death penalty and how that works. I mean, it's just crazy on how this is the norm in our society. And it's okay because of how people look at what they call criminals until their family members are involved with it. I remember years ago, a lady was one of the big proponents of the three strike laws out there in California. Like she, she, she pounded the ground for that. She lobbied, she got politicians involved in, they end up instituted three strikes laws. And then what happened after that, her son ended up on the three strikes the way he was incarcerated for the rest of his life. Then she wanted to cry how unfair that was, but yet you contributed to it, but you were the face of it until it happens to you. And that's usually how it goes in our society. Like we want to push these particular crime bills. We want to get tough on crime until our loved ones get caught up in it. Like I'll explain to you that the biggest way to curb crime is economics. The average person that's involved with crime is because of money. And the best way to fix that is to provide economic opportunities in these urban areas or poor areas. That's the only way that you can fix it. You know, people want money. People that sell drugs, they do it for money. Right. People that rob people, they do it for money. People that steal, they do it for money or survival. You know, I mean, outside of that, like you can go into your crimes or uh, um sexual assault and stuff like that, like which is I have zero tolerance from. You do something like that, you deserve to be in prison, right? You don't have no right to nobody else's body. <laughs> like you need to be in prison for a very long time when it comes to that. But everything else is evol- it revolves around money. So this is the problem that we actually need to fix is making sure that there are economic opportunities so that people don't have to go towards that part of life. Financial opportunities. You know, it, I mean, it's, it's one plus one is two, it's simple math. But until our politicians, the right ones that we need to put in office, see this, we'll continue to have these problems, especially in heavy Democratic areas. You know, it's these, these the people that's really screwing us over, right? And the thing about these areas, we're not going to change them overnight. But one thing that we can do is to put the right people in place. Quit selling us dreams. Come to the people and allow us to tell you what we want. This is something that's always left out by politicians and especially on the local and state levels. I don't give too much shits about the federal level when it comes to things evolving or dealing with my community. Right. These are all local and state politicians who create these laws that fucks us over in the long run. And so these are the ones that we need to target. I know people like to say, well, just, you know, vote Republican. Yeah, 
It's not that simple. Right? It won't happen like that overnight. But while we are living in these districts, while we're living in these areas, we have to deal with what's in place now. And that's making sure that we got the right people in place that is going to have economics at the forefront of their agendas. Anything outside of that is secondary. It ain't even important. But economics is important. So this is something that I just wanted to throw out there to y'all today. Like I said, I'm not going to hold y'all alone. You know, I know people got stuff to do. Also, to I'll throw out there a housekeeping note. Correct the Felon Podcast will not be available next Sunday. And the reason why is because of the Super Bowl. Like, I want to watch the shit myself, too. You know, I ain't even picked the winner yet, but I want to watch it. And but what I'm thinking about doing is doing a pre-recorded show to where you'll be able to go find it on Libre TV, uh, oh, you know, on Libre TV for sure. And also in audio form, because this is something that uh, we want to keep doing. Like, you know, hey, this is something that I enjoy doing. This is something I like doing, especially when me and my bro get together. Saw G and we be bringing heat for y'all, you know, different content, especially with the Libre TV. So listen, family, friends, supporters out there, make sure, um, you know, you subscribe to the channel. Go over to Libre TV. Check it out. Right. This is something that, um, you know, you can get involved with and feel good about. Yeah, people see tomorrow and do a Super Bowl, <laughs> do a Super Bowl show. Now, I don't think I'm going to do a Super Bowl show, man. I, I, I won't be able to Stay on point, stay on message, especially with beer. You know, like even tonight, I'm drinking green tea out of, uh, you know, some some merch that I got over there on my own site. So y'all go check it out. Also, too, like I say, subscribe, like, and comment to all the audio um, platforms that we have. Be sure to tap in tomorrow for Brown Paper Bag Podcast with my brother, Saul G, uh, Purple Pill Politics on Sundays. I mean, excuse me, on Wednesdays, Comic Kanye or Comic King, however you pronounce Saul G Show Saturday. And of course, you got the uh, the Correct the Felon podcast on Sundays. I hope this has been informative. I hope it's been inspiring. I hope that this information that I provided tonight uh, will mobilize you to get involved with the process because something has to be done with it. Right. Something has to be done. We got to make sure that we bring a change to criminal justice in our society and allow people that has a felony conviction or been to prison to be back part of this society. We have to stop limiting them because what's going to happen, they're going to go back to the streets. I know somebody that's been out for a few months now and, uh, oh yeah, Comic Kanye, that's it. Uh, saw G show, <laughs> Comic Kanye, but I got a, a homie that just got out a few months ago. He can't find employment. So his thinking is starting to lean back to the streets. So therefore, once again, we got to make sure that we push economics and equal opportunity for everybody that's returning back to society. Once again, this has been the Correct the Felon podcast. I'm your boy. Make sure y'all go check us out at Libre TV, Middle Passage Media. Grab you some merch. All of it, the proceeds go to the enhancement of Middle Passage Media. And I want everybody to have a blessed day on purpose.